Welcome back to another episode of Being at Work. I'm your host, Andrea Butcher, and I am so grateful for today's conversation. As soon as I met today's guest, I was like, I know that I want her on our show. She is so delightful. She's also a reminder of the importance of letting the right people shape your story. She says, yes, you are the author of your story, but also you got to let others add to your story. Jasmine French is a global ethics and compliance leader at Cummins. But what you really need to know about Jasmine is how she's allowed space for others to see her differently than how she's seen herself and the impact that's had on her career trajectory. Listen in as we talk about who you allow to speak into your life and being a lifelong learner of your own experiences. I tend to be someone who is really curious, whether it was being a liberal arts major at Duke and minoring in French and doing a study abroad in Russia to being in law school at Vanderbilt in my third year when most people are trying to just enjoy those last days of freedom. I audited a French class just to brush up on my French. I'm just curious. I want to know a little bit about a lot. I've got colleagues who love to take a deep dive, but that curiosity thread throughout my life has always been apparent and it shows up in interesting ways. And we can talk more about my explorations, becoming a DJ and everything else. But I think the journey is really around being curious, being interested. And this concept you already talked about, which is a lifelong learner. Yeah, that just shows up wherever you go. You're curious. I did not know the story about you as a junior in college auditing French class. You chose to do that. So I had gone through two years of law school, which if people are familiar, first year is killer. Second year, you're finally starting to get your legs. And then third year is you're knocking out what few other elective classes right before you make the leap. And so it is generally the year where you are trying to coast. And so I said, audit is nice enough. I don't need to get graded, but I would walk over to the undergraduate campus from the law school and sit in a room with juniors and seniors and got a chance to brush up on my French. It was good. Well, the way in which you do anything says something about how you do everything. And that experience says a lot about you. I hadn't heard that story, but I'm not surprised because you're someone who takes on a lot, but you get a lot of shit done. How do you navigate all of it? I've definitely gotten better as I've matured. I've surrounded myself with different people with different backgrounds. The pace at which my natural inclination wants to move is still fast, but my EQ has gotten a lot better being able to make sure I'm not leaving people behind. I think that's one thing I've learned about navigating is that it's not necessarily always navigating with full consensus, but it's navigating with full concern for people along the journey. And so I think getting things done continues to just drive me personally. I think what I've gotten better at is not allowing that to be the only thing that I talk about. 15 years ago, I'd get into a meeting and say, this is the agenda, and these are our hard milestones and timelines. And it became self-fulfilling. People were like, well, Jasmine is the driver. So I kept getting rewarded for this behavior, right? So of course, it's like, well, then I must be doing it well because people keep asking me. And what it took was just some introspection around my leadership style as I saw myself wanting to be more of a leader of leaders I realized I needed to adapt more to have a leadership style that was a little bit more comprehensive. 
So I still love checking boxes. I still love January 1st. I love Monday mornings. That's just me, but have just gotten a higher empathy throughout the process. I love that language, navigating with full concern, paying attention to what's happening with the people around you so that you're connecting because you are a big relationship person. I am. Connection for me is really how I am energized. If I've got a plug for my energy, I can put it into my nonprofit work because it's people that I'm learning from and put it into a networking event with strangers and an interesting space. I know other people go home and collapse after a networking event because they are just tapped out. Whereas I'm like, hey, anybody want to go grab drinks and continue the conversation? So I am that person. You don't want it to end. That is the definition of an extrovert, no doubt. You get a lot of energy from those kinds of events and other people. I do, but also too, Andrea, I love to distinguish myself by saying I'm really interested in the people who are interesting. And sometimes that isn't because of title or cachet. It's just that they've done something that you wouldn't expect. They have an idea. They published something. They put themselves out there. Those are the type of people that I'm like, okay, I'm fascinated by you and I want to learn more. But it may not be in this conventional sense of everybody trying to talk to CEO X. It may just be, oh, wow, you were in med school and left and then trekked around the Himalayas. Tell me more. Well, and it's so connected to your curiosity thread that you started with. What can I learn from this person? And where can I lean in and get new insights or new ways of thinking about things? Yes. So the balance is making sure I don't make people feel like they're being interrogated. You never want to make someone feel like that. And also, I've had people say, I've told you so much about me, but I know so little about you. I've got to find ways to make sure I'm infusing more of me, but it's really just about being interested and curious and not some way of deflecting. Which is why you connect so quickly with people, because you are genuinely interested in their story, their backgrounds, the things they've done. It feels good. It fills me up, it makes me keep thinking about how I can show up differently and try new things. And so I appreciate you saying that, but it comes from a genuine place. Well, and it's also connected to some of the pivotal learnings that you've had in your career. When I asked you to tell me about a pivotal moment in your career, your leadership that taught you a lot about yourself, you immediately shared a story where someone spoke into your life. And as we unpacked that situation, there are so many leadership lessons there. Yeah, so this idea around letting people pour into you and help you shape your story, I think at times, and maybe where we are culturally in the zeitgeist, it's this idea of you are the own author of your story. Don't let anyone tell you who you are, which at its core, these are fundamentally principles I agree with. And there's a proverb that says, the hunter tells the story until the lion learns to write. So this idea of, yes, there is another voice who experienced the same interaction as you. And are you giving them space to tell their version of it? I get that. But this conversation that you and I had was a little bit of a remix of that concept because it was someone that I really respected, someone I had known over the course of eight to 10 years. And up until this particular moment in time, I had seen myself as kind of a emerging, rising leader, but that I still had some things that I needed to check off the box, management experience that I needed to have before I would truly be considered C-suite ready or C-suite material. 
And this person who did know me well was able to start to plant seeds and to put me in rooms and opportunities to flex that part of me and said, I see you as this now. And I'm thinking he was credible. He was also a C-suite executive. It's one thing for your mom to say you could be president, but it's another thing for someone who knows the war and the battles that go in with leading an organization to be able to say, I could see you doing this and thriving and succeeding. And so just being open to someone who knew me well saying, hey, could you imagine yourself differently? And that was just really pivotal. What was it about that relationship? What was it in that situation that was so pivotal for you? It was the messenger. This was a time in my career where my philanthropic work was really thriving. And so I was sitting down with this leader thinking that we were meeting to talk about some new opportunities as a board member. And instead, it was to really talk about leading an organization. And it wasn't even necessarily imposter syndrome, but my initial thought was, I'm not ready. I'm emerging. I'm up and coming. Instead of I've got next, he was thinking, Jasmine, you should be thinking about I've got now. And so I think it was the credibility that he had individually. He could speak from a position of knowledge because he had been running an organization. And then I also think it was just this idea of being willing to sit with someone's interpretation and perceptions of me. I fought that initial urge to say, oh, no, not me or not now. I was thinking it. And instead, I sat across from him and let him tell me the things without interjecting. And then we were very intentional, Andrea, like over the next several months, it was just replaying this conversation and him reminding me of things that I had done that gave him confidence to be able to say it. So it wasn't a one and done conversation. And I think that's part of your message is this was a really credible, trusting relationship. You were listening differently than you would have as someone you didn't know or someone you didn't work with. And he continued to highlight it and bring it up and reinforce it. Reinforced it not only in private rooms where it was just he and I, but publicly in front of other people. And for a connector like me, your social capital, that is currency. And so anyone who's willing to put their currency on the line on my behalf as someone who walks in the world of relationships, I see that as one of the most highest forms of flattery. And so he definitely put his own social capital on the line to advance this idea of me being someone who could handle a CEO role. Yeah, he advocated for you. He did, in a meaningful way. There's a lot of great takeaways, but one of the things then that I take away from this is who you let speak into your story matters. And as you started with, yes, you are the author and you're in relationship with people all the time. Pay attention to those voices that are trustworthy, credible voices in your life because they're going to see things in you. I'm not advocating for people to allow folks who are outside of the arena to speak over them. That's not what I'm saying. Because they're often coming from a place of distance. They don't know you. And so what they're speaking into you or over you probably isn't accurate at all. It's really about having intentionality with how you nurture relationships so that when they do speak, you know the place that it's coming from. Yeah, I often tell a story when I was in a male-dominated environment in an executive position and was given a mentor to work with. and was so excited because I love to grow and learn. And I thought, what a great opportunity to be poured into. Also, a man within the organization told me that I needed to lower my voice. Apparently, if I sounded more masculine, I would have more credibility. 
So juxtapose that with what you're saying. This was someone that didn't know me. I didn't have a trusting relationship at all. He made a flippant comment that really wrecked me for a bit. But your story highlights the big difference in this is someone that you knew, someone that you would worked with, someone that had seen you in action. So different level of relationship for sure. Yeah. And so if you've worked for a manager or you're in a professional setting, let's say it's part of an annual review process, there is an opportunity for them to say, this is my experience of you. And perhaps it's behavior related where you and I are is in this space around character and ability, I do think there is some nuance there, but you don't need your manager to have known you for 10 years for you to say, hey, if this is a behavior that they want as my manager, I probably need to figure out, does that align with my values? And if so, I want to stay at this company or maybe find a new role. And if you do want to stay, then you say, okay, how can I manage up and help meet expectations without burdening myself that this is some major character flaw? Oh, it's so good. What a great reminder that is, which really goes to another thing that I hear in your story is you were thinking this is a position I want at some point, like it's my next, but he really saw it as your now. And so it's different than the story that you've been telling yourself. How did you reconcile that? And what advice would you give to emerging leaders who are in that place of feeling like there's something I really want to do someday? It was really hard for me to reconcile. I got in my car after that meeting. It's almost like those cartoons where someone's drinking a glass of water and someone says something and then you almost have to spit the water out because you're just like, what? So I spared him that, but I thought, is he serious? Like, really? And so a couple of things that helped bridge the gap for me. I do keep written feedback that I've received. I had a career in law, and so I was a corporate associate getting feedback. I made the transition to our purely corporate role at Cummins. I'm that person that prints out those annual reviews and I stick them in a three ring binder and I go back and I say to myself, okay, what did this person say 10 years ago, three years ago? Are there common themes? So right in front of me, I was able to see strategic thinker, ability to problem solve, critical decision-making skills were recurring themes. And that aligned with that conversation I had had with the CEO. And I thought, okay, here are multiple people saying this about me. I also try to do a good job of keeping my network close. And so I have no shame around the idea of scheduling in my Outlook calendar check-ins with people, right? I don't think that dulls the genuineness of it all or the intimacy of it all. But I'm regularly checking in with people and constantly asking them, how are they observing me, et cetera. So That helped me bridge the gap when I could say, Jasmine, lower your inner voices and let this data that you've actually collected help you see yourself in this new way. So again, who are the right people that you're letting add to your story? So these are trusted advisors, people in your network that you care about, that you have a relationship with. So they're likely to be candid and open and tell you what you need to hear and just always getting feedback from the people in your life. What do you notice? What blind spots do I have? Tell me the way you see it. And to your question about emerging leaders, asking them to really plan how they want to keep in touch with these leaders that they're trying to cultivate relationships with. What's your strategy, right? They always say, hope is not a strategy. Is it every three weeks? Is it a recurring reminder? Are you setting up a Google alert on that individual or their company so that you can say, hey, I read this about your company and 
By the way, how are you, Howard Bangs? What are your mechanisms for having a cadence so that that relationship is based in them actually knowing you because you've been cultivating it over time? Yeah, staying in front. And how do you determine who to do that with? Because you are very well networked and very well connected. Do you have a particular group within your network that you're focused on? And how did you determine who to regularly connect with? I'm a woman of faith. And being a lawyer, my career paths have leaned along the lines of ethic, those topics that are really important to me. And so I truly use leadership integrity as a barometer for value-based leadership, servant leadership. And so I'm watching, I'm observing whether it's the old adage, how do they treat wait staff, but also how do they treat their direct reports or senior leaders? How do they move in rooms where there are high profile people, but how are they moving in that way? And so that's my picker, my chooser. Those people who have demonstrated a career where integrity is their North Star and then start to cultivate from that point. And I love to be in rooms where people have experiences that complement mine, but also make space for people who have very different experiences. As a Black woman, for me, that may be other white men who have something to offer and I can move in those spaces comfortably, right? And so it's people who aren't American and have different experiences, either as immigrants or expats, for example. But I do allow integrity, value-based leadership that I've seen demonstrated consistently to be my starting point. That's your guide. Well, and then there's a shared value that's definitely going to be a connecting point for you. Absolutely. It just forms the basis for future conversations, for sure. I hear that curiosity thread, again, because you're looking for other learners and people who are also willing to put themselves out there and experience and try things. Yeah, it's just the interesting ways in which someone can call you out about an assumption that you made that you didn't even realize that you made. But because they've had this different experience and you've established and cultivated a relationship, you know that it's not coming from a gotcha type experience. I'll give you a real life example. We're in the context of work and thinking about how to train employees on certain interview investigation type behaviors and this concept of making sure they made eye contact as an indicator of truthfulness and being able to raise my hand as someone who spent a lot of time around cultures where, depending on gender or age, it might not be appropriate in that culture to look someone directly in the eye. And so being the voice in the room that said, wait a minute, this language that you're training people to look for as an indicator of truthfulness could fly in the face of cultural norms. So I bring to bear my relationships in the work that I do. And that's just one example of many. Yeah, that's a great example of a big turnoff to a lot of people and would actually hinder trust and connection. Just being aware and open to that. I want to go back to just this idea of being a lifelong learner of your own experiences. And again, it's the curiosity thread. What does that look like for you? How do you ensure that you're learning from your own experiences? A couple of things come to mind, but I'll start with this idea of being open to mentoring. There is not any shortage of full calendars and busy lives. So this idea of willingly taking on a mentoring role for some people, they just say, I just can't do it. I've just got so many demands. But honestly, depending on the age of the person that I mentor, sometimes they ask these questions that really call me just to turn inward and think back on an experience that I might have tucked away or haven't thought about in a while. 
And so just the chance to reimagine something that happened in my life in the context of giving advice is one channel that I use for lifelong learning. And so I'm a big sister through Big Brothers Big Sisters. I'm often asked by friends or colleagues to mentor someone young in their life or meet young women and men who say, hey, can I spend some time with you? And so for the folks who are really interested in getting the most out of this relationship, they ask those great questions. And then I think the other thing is for how to be that lifelong learner. Honestly, Andrea, I'm pretty disciplined. The first two or three days of January, no matter where I am, I have a very robust profile for what my work will be for the year coming. And so I've got categories, I've got timelines for my goal setting. But when I started in 2021, which I had not done before, I found a really great template for a look back. So I do that in January as well. It's everything from what books did I read? What were three failures that hurt really badly, but I learned a lot from? Who are relationships that I want to detach from in the new year or grow stronger? And there's a woman, she was Forbes 30 under 30 at one time. She had a successful travel company and sold it to a private equity firm. It's really sharp. And so she puts out content for free and it's a Word document template. It is extensive. And so for people who open it up, Zim Flores is her name, Z-I-M Flores. And if you were a member of this group that she had, she would give you this content. But that was something new that I've been continuing, which is the look back. So that gives me that immediate lesson learned at the January of the preceding year. What I love so much about that then is momentum going into the new year. What did I learn? How did I grow? I appreciate the discipline around that because that takes time. It's not an immediate gratification kind of exercise. It's hard work. I tend to devote two half days, maybe three half days to it, just sitting down. We'll be the themes for what I'm trying to stop doing or detach from different year over year. Am I still struggling with the same things? If so, I need to put some more attention to it. Oh, that's a good point. This is a process you repeat time after time. You'll be able to see patterns emerge. Absolutely. And I think it has really helped me become that learner for sure. I use my iPhone alarm every two weeks. I have a check-in on how am I doing on my goals. I added two categories for 2023, which were a category of play. So I have a series of goals throughout the year for play. Everything from buy colored pencils and a coloring book to run down the hill with no socks or shoes on, right? Little thing. And then just checking my status every two weeks. Like, how am I doing up against the things that I identified as being important for the year? I love that you built play into it, just given all the things that you have. It's going to keep your bucket full for sure. Well, I'm so glad I asked that question because I do think spending time in reflection is so important. And I really appreciate the ways in which you highlighted. I've never done the look back. I'm going to ask it for that template because I think that's such a great exercise just to build momentum going into the new year. We recently came across a Harvard Business Review article that was talking about the power in reflection, spending time. Looking back at our experiences, there's just always rich lessons there. I mean, that's how we learn is through those experiences. But when we take time to really reflect on them, we can amplify those learnings. So it's interesting that you do that in such a disciplined way, informally and formally. There was a TED talk about how technology has made us less likely to daydream. This idea of you used to stand in line and wait. And without your phone, you would have to think about something. Some people, it might be your to-do list, but other people, it might be that business idea or 
that recipe you want to try. And now we don't have that time. And so I had to build it in. Yeah, that's a really good point. Jasmine, I'm so grateful for you. I'm grateful for our friendship and our connection and the power of networking, because I know it was someone, one of your trusted advisors that initially connected us. And here we are now. I'm learning from you. I really appreciate this perspective of just being cognizant of who you let speak into your story. And thank you so much for showing up with so much vulnerability and sharing the story and so many good takeaways. My pleasure. I am glad our paths have crossed. Thank you for pouring into your listeners, people who you will never meet, but that you are giving them the compass that they need for how they show up. This idea of being is so appropriate. So thank you for sharing your gift and can't wait for more conversations. Oh, thank you, my friend. If our listeners want to connect with you, Jasmine, what's the best way to do that? Yes, Jasmine in French on LinkedIn. I am happy to connect there. Very active. Awesome. Thank you, my friend. Thank you. Thank you for joining us for this episode. Please subscribe wherever you listen to your podcast to never miss a Being at Work story.